When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! No, I am the father. Oh. What's in the box? You maniac! You blew it up! Damn you all to hell! Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Marissa Martinelli, an assistant editor here at Slate, and this week we're spoiling Last Christmas, a romantic comedy starring Amelia Clark as a woman who works in a Christmas shop, and Henry Golding as the mysterious stranger who helps her out of her self-destructive rut. I'm here today with two Slate staff writers joining us from the West Coast through the magic of Christmas wishes. And also Skype is Ingu Kang. Hi, Ingu. Hello, hello. And here in the studio, we have Heather Schwedell. Hey, Heather. Hey, Marissa. So before we dive in to the bizarro plot of this movie, I want to get your general impressions. Ingu, let's start with you. Instead of our usual thumbs up, thumbs down, let's say naughty or nice. It gives me absolutely no joy to give this movie a naughty. Um, I think my viewing experience was I just sort of like sat there waiting to like the movie and it just like never happened. All right, Ingu, you'll be our Grinch for this conversation because I think I know what Heather's verdict's going to be. My verdict is nice. Um, I will acknowledge that this movie had many problems, but from the time I saw the trailer, I was so excited to see it and I giggled throughout the movie and I just liked it. I don't care. <laughs> so Heather will be our Cindy Lou Who. And I fall somewhere in between, although I think I'm a little more on Ingu's side. I wanted to love this movie. I adore Amelia Clark. I've watched Henry Golding's Meteoric Rise with interest. Paul Feig's last movie, A Simple Favor. I I mean, I'm a sucker for the schlockiest of Christmas movies. And yet, I thought this movie was just so much less than the sum of its parts. Let's dig into why. Uh, So I called this a romantic comedy in the intro, but that's actually a little bit misleading. This movie is dressed up as a romantic comedy. But once you start peeling the wrapping paper, it's kind of a bait and switch. And it's not what you expected it to be. Uh, So let's set it up. Uh, Heather? Want to tell us about Amelia Clark? Sure. Amelia Clark is homeless. <laughs> She's trotting around a suitcase <laughs> for the whole movie. <laughs> um, so she works in this uh, Christmas store, and she dresses as, as an elf, and she's trotting around her suitcase because I guess she lived with a roommate and 
mess that up and then her sister kicked her out or various people are always kicking her out of their apartment and she can't live at home because she's fighting with her mother. She's sick or was sick last year and she's just a tornado of a person. She's messing everything up all the time. She's messing up at work. She wants to be a singer. Then she sees this guy one day. (laughs) Well, she's kind of a fleabag style mess, right? She has a very difficult family life. Her mother, who's played by Emma Thompson, they her family who also wrote the movie. Who also wrote the movie? They came over from Yugoslavia. They settled in London, and she has this sort of. Her name is Kate, Amelia Clark's character, but we learn that her real name is Katerina, and so there's a little bit of a tension between her family's roots and her new identity as this kind of hard partying mess of a person. Oh, she takes home a lot of men, too. Um, That's interesting that you mentioned Fleabag. A few reviews made that comparison, and I didn't think of it at all. Now it seems obvious, but I'm wondering if it's just because this is the year of Fleabag season two, or there's actually like a real Fleabagginess to her character. I don't think that she herself is Fleabaggy. I think that there is like a nice toxicity <laughs> to her relationship with her sister, which felt very flea baggy. But I think like pretty much that's it. Like she's British and she has a sister. The sister actually looks like Fleabag's sister. <laughs> they're they're yes. lookalikes a little bit. Um, so I think you're right about that. So part of why I wanted to like this movie so much is that I love Amelia Clark. Love her. Her eyebrow game is incredible. First of all, let's just throw that out there. Many times during this movie, I was like, whoever is styling her eyebrows gets it. Uh, I wasn't a Game of Thrones watcher, but I've just really liked her in some otherwise so-so movies. I think she does a lot with what she's given, especially in Me Before You, which is not a very good movie, but she's compelling in it. And Solo, which I was fonder of than most people. I mean, in that movie, she has basically a nothing role and she gives it so much more personality than is demanded of it something that you don't really get from game of thrones is that she's an incredibly like charming and funny actress and her role as daenerys on game of thrones was so self-serious and uh basically she didn't really have like much but like empty walls to bounce off of and here now that she's like constantly uh bantering with other people you can see that like she's actually very lively um also uh this might sound like a little bit weird but like i felt like watching her face in this movie there's like something like mathematically perfect about her face vis-a-vis like the screen i don't know what it is but like she just has like a face for the camera and so yeah i was really waiting to like this movie i'm like totally with you guys on all of this so far we'll see where we diverge and where heather liked it we didn't (laughs) like it so among the people who kate bounces off of uh is someone called santa ingu who is santa 
Santa is Kate's boss um, at this Christmas store. We find out later on, thankfully, that Santa is not her actual name. Also, Santa is played by Michelle Yeoh, and both Michelle Yeoh and Henry Golding starred in Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, spoiler alert, uh, Michelle Yeoh does not play Henry Golding's mom, which I thought might be like one of the twist endings here, but we can lay that to rest now. Um, and so Michelle Yeoh basically starts out as this like very, like almost stereotypical, like dragon lady sort of character where if, um, Kate is not paying attention to something at her job. She'll like throw something at her employee's head. She calls her elf. Yes, instead of her actual name. And so she seems very severe. Um, and but as the movie uh, goes along, we find that she has like a lot more warmth to her under all of that ice. I spoke to multiple people who thought that Michelle Yeoh was going to be Henry Golding's character's mother. To the point where I had to go back and watch the trailer to establish that that wasn't the case. There's like some alternate universe where people just assume that she was going to play his mother and were so firmly convinced that I had to be like, no, I've seen the movie now. It doesn't happen. I didn't assume that at all, but I think maybe we're just so used to movies not being diverse that maybe when you see two um, Asian characters that that's the assumption which is kind of sad well I mean I think that, that the other thing is that like when Kate first sees Tom it's when she's working and he's right outside the store and usually when she sees him or at least more than once like it's when she goes outside of the shop that he's always there and so like for a while I thought is he haunting the shop so I don't think it's like completely outside the realm of possibility. I think also they just milked that relationship so much on late night and in press that mentally we've just come to pair these two actors in that way. Uh, what did we think of Santa in this movie? I found it a little bit strange, the conflation of classic rom-com, secondary plot. She's kind of the BFF to our main character, She's kind of a maternal figure, right, but not really. She has no other friends, does she? Or I guess she has her friend who kicks her out, the pregnant friend. Right. She has difficult relationships. And Santa's the only one who really gives her a second chance in the course of the movie. Everyone else gets tired of her behavior. But Santa's the one who, when Kate doesn't lock up the shop and they get robbed, she says, I'm giving you a second chance because I'm a good person. I didn't get much of a sense of the relationship beyond that. Like, I didn't really get a sense of why Santa gave this ungrateful girl a second chance beyond the stated explanation that she was a good person. And she used to be a good employee, I guess, before she had her health troubles. Um, Santa says that. Yeah, I I wish there had been sort of like a a cuter reason that Santa owned this Christmas shop and just a little more um, spark to that whole thing. And, and um, yeah, we find out her name isn't Santa, but but it, it just kind of doesn't make that much sense. Just like the rest of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, there are a lot of loose threads in this movie. Totally. And explanations that if you really think about them for more than two seconds, they don't hold up. 
I think that was my main issue with the movie is a lot of it seemed like throwing stuff at the wall without thinking through how thematically it connects to the rest of the movie. Because even the Christmas shop itself, it's very kitschy. You have people coming in who are sort of, oh, la la, it's Christmas. And the stuff in the shop, I, we're supposed to think of it as tacky. I mean, at one point there's a light up Christmas gibbon or something like that. That's very funny. And it's so a sight gag. Who comes into the shop since we're spoiling? Who's the first uh, customer we see? It's Patty Lapone. <laughs> um, first of um, a few random cameos in this movie. Um, yeah, I think the Christmas shop could have been funnier. Patty Lapone's thing was like she was trying to pick between baby Jesuses. Was that her? She was. Yeah. I don't know necessarily that it could have been funnier. I think they milked it for the gags. I was just waiting for the turning point in the movie where we were supposed to love and value this Christmas shop as much as Santa does. And I felt it never delivered. I guess that's that's part of exploring the larger role that Christmas plays in this movie. It's called mm -hmm. Last Christmas for reasons that we will get into very shortly. Uh, but let's first talk about Henry Golding, who is so handsome and so charming, and I wanted so much more for him than what he was given to do in Last Christmas. So in Crazy Rich Asians, he was sort of a revelation in that he is so handsome and charming his character doesn't have a ton of depth, but it works for the movie. He's almost the prize, right? He's the guy that you get once you've endured all of the hardships. And then in A Simple Favor, he's kind of playing on the same persona, but in that case, he's the dupe, right? He's good-looking and easily manipulated, and he's the handsome husband, and it's a similar role, except that the outcome is not to get the guy. He's the third wheel to the relationship between two women. In this movie, it kind of stretches that to the extreme where he's a manic pixie dream boy with very little inner life who exists purely to well, get Kate off her phone. Is is he a manic pixie dream boy or is she a manic pixie dream girl? I think she has more of the manic pixie thing going on with with how she dresses and just kind of being quirky. He's a little more just like hot guy like no himbo. visually sure she kind of could fit that embodiment but i think he absolutely fills the role of manny pixie manic pixie dream boy who comes along i don't think he's he like literally twirled in, in the street right <laughs> he literally twirls in the street i don't know like how much more manic pixie dream boy you can have, get he doesn't have any like cute little quirks like his main thing He's constantly saying, he look up any, at the mice. I was going to say, look up. But that's not, that's not in the classic Manic Pixie dream girl sense. Like, it should be a little quirkier than that. It shouldn't just be like, look up. Heather, like, he's quirky as fuck. I agree that he's kind of a blank character, but he's not a Manic Pixie dream boy. There's nothing like alt or like indie or there's nothing like that about him. He, he's a himbo. <laughs> I don't think that that is supposed to be the defining, I get what you're saying about like the visual coding, but I think that in a classic manic pixie dream girl, like formula, she's the one who is like depressed and world weary and just like talk, makes jokes about like how she wants to die all the time. And basically he comes in and is like, 
you know what, you're actually like not looking around enough for you to like appreciate what you truly have. And so basically, he sort of like appears at random moments. He tells her he doesn't have a phone in the year 2017. If that is not old enough for you, I don't know what to tell you. It's not just that he doesn't have a phone. It's that he locked it in a cupboard. That to me is the epitome (laughs) of (laughs) manic pixie. He shows her like these like different areas of London that like she had never been to before. And, uh, also, he volunteers at a homeless shelter, at which point she sort of says something like, come on, because he's too perfect. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that was a good explanation of it. I think you're right in that he does sort of pop up to open her world. But is it just bland writing that he volunteers at the most boring place and he rides a bike? Like, he's very bland for a manic pixie um, dream boy, if that is what he is. And maybe um, maybe that's, there's a gendered thing in that it's easier to be manic pixie as a woman than it is as a man. But anyway, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, he is saintly to the point where I kept waiting for the other shoe to drop mm-hmm. and him to show a little spark and, I don't know, some kind of an edge. And it never comes. We've gone this far without talking about the twist of the movie, which is basically the whole movie. Mm-hmm. So we should just lay it out. So Henry Golding's character, whose name is Tom, appears throughout the movie at seemingly random intervals, but really whenever Kate's at her lowest for the most part. And you notice he only talks to Kate, or she's the only one he interacts with, right? Right, which is a red flag. You also notice that, like, so throughout, like, the first half of the movie, uh, before she ends up having to go home... Uh, she carries around, like, a suitcase with her all the time. And for such a saintly guy, he never takes her suitcase, Ah. which is quite notable in London, in cobblestone roads. And so that was, like, the first inkling, other than, like, the trailer and the title, where I was like, oh, something is off with him. Right, and the thing that turns out to be off with him is that he actually died and was an organ donor, his heart wound up <laughs> transplanted into Kate after she had her unspecified illness. And so literally she's carrying his heart inside her and he does not appear to anyone else in the movie, which is one of those very like six sensey. Oh, of course, <laughs> once you get to that moment. And it's revealed, in fact, with a montage of scenes that we'd previously seen where Tom is with Kate. But now we see that Kate was actually alone the whole time. And I got to say, Tom's kind of a dick because one of those scenes is him covering her while she gets changed in the middle of the street. And if he knew that he was transparent and he just let her change in the middle of the street, I'm not buying it. Yeah, well, that opens up all these interesting questions like, is he a ghost? Is he a figment of her imagination? Like... Does he have his own inner thoughts where he could have expressed that? Or was Kate, like, creating him? Like, how would he have been able to say anything? I think the movie wants us to believe he's a ghost, right? The fact that he brings her to his flat where he used to live Mm -hmm. and knows where that is. The fact that he really did leave a phone in his cupboard, which somehow remained untouched and none of the realtors noticed. The fact that... He approaches her at one point and says that he has to tell her something. Suggests to me that he is a ghost with his own independent thoughts and feelings. With that said, I found that a really unsatisfying 
Yeah, twist. but he's not the kind of ghost where, you know, she's still kissing him. He's there. He's not, like, walking through walls. So, like, what kind of ghost is he? Right. And in that <laughs> montage of scenes where we see that she was actually herself the whole time, the movie does not show us her just, like, making out with the air. <laughs> we were spared that sight. We were. I just wish they would have made it clear either he's a ghost and he hasn't passed on to the next stage of life or... um she was imagining him or I, I just wanted that to be answered definitively because now I have all, all these questions. I was pretty sure that that was what the twist of the movie was going to be. And then I got really annoyed that Emma Thompson took the lyrics of last Christmas. I gave you my heart and took that in like the most literal direction possible. And it like really annoyed me. But then I was also like, it wasn't only his heart that was not damaged in his fatal bike accident. Is he also going around to like every single other person who received his organs and also trying to make their lives better? And also like, why is he doing this? Also like, why now? Right. Cause she's been a mess for a long time. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> That's a good point, though. Does the guy who got his liver also get nice romantic walks with Henry Golding? Or is it just his heart that he's possessive of? Um, don't you guys think it's kind of clever that she took the lyric literally? No. Fine, clever. <laughs> We're really stretching the limits of that word. I actually don't have a problem with the twist itself. And in fact, I think that if it had been executed differently, I would mm. really love it. Because I, listen, one of my favorite Christmas movies ever is The Spirit of Christmas, which is 100% about a woman who falls in love with a ghost. <laughs> Highly recommend. It's on Netflix. This was too precious about the twist. It saved it for, you know, the third act of the movie, and it's the big reveal, and it's kind of the only thing that happens, really. And I think if they had introduced it earlier... And explored it with her knowing that he's not real. That would have been a much more interesting movie. I just also feel like there's something really weird and iffy about the idea that like organ donation is such an altruistic act that like not only did he give her his heart, he has to like come back from the dead to intervene in her life to make it better and repair her relationship with her family. Like, all of that, I just felt like, was too much. And to stop her from literally destroying his heart because she's eating junk and, like, hard partying. And one of the things that changes over the course of the movie is she starts eating, like, fruit bowls and green juices. See, something does happen in the movie, Marissa. <laughs> Uh, what can be in quotation marks be called the plot of the movie? Well, this is a little bit of a trope, right? There are other movies, like there's that movie with Minnie Driver, um, where Return to Me. Yeah, I think. she gets a new heart, or someone gets a new heart, and they fall in love because of that. And I, I feel like that happens sometimes. In, in I think it's that yeah. David Duchovny, his wife dies, and then he falls in love with the woman who he discovers, like got his dead wife's heart. I think that's the plot. Yes. In any case, 
Um, I don't like any of this. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why we need to have romance that's based on organ transplants. And it's such like a Hollywood, like woo idea of like how body parts to work. It just like kind of creeps me out, honestly. I will say that in the scene where this finally all comes to light, Tom says something along the lines of I wrote always down the quote. Heather has her has it ready. She's got the notebook here. Take care of my heart. It was always going to be yours one way or another. Uh. I mean, that's very sweet and kind of gross also. <laughs> like, he's one step away from being like, I'll always be inside you. <laughs> um, but we were talking about this. Um, did he, like, meet her or know her in any way before he died? Like, what does he mean it was always going to end up with her? Right. I think one thing that would have improved this movie greatly is some kind of flashback scene where the two characters met even just brushing elbows before he died to kind of explain why he has formed such an attachment to her because it's a pretty one-sided relationship. See, to me, yeah, all of this lends itself more toward him being imaginary and in her head than being a ghost, but it doesn't really matter ultimately. If he had been in her head, it would explain a lot more and this would become a movie about self-love. One strange quality of his character is that he's pretty much completely sexless. Oh, yeah. They do kiss at some point, but otherwise it's a very chaste little well, romance they're having. She, she asks him to... Um, well, he looks like Henry Golding, so she's yeah. like, yeah, rip my clothes off. <laughs> she's like, let's lie down, and he just kisses her. So disappointing. <laughs> One thing I will say is... As much as I hate that they ripped a lyric out of Last Christmas, I do appreciate one movie that the three of us actually spoiled was Always Be My Maybe. Mm -hmm. And one of my gripes with that movie is that it's a pun on the Mariah Carey song, but it doesn't really engage with the lyrics. This movie is so focused on the song yes, Last Christmas. Yes, Marissa, thank you. <laughs> Marissa, you're correct. <laughs> George Michael is a big well part done. of this movie. Oh, he is, yeah. All his songs are in it, and it actually has a great soundtrack. It makes it really fun. <laughs> but, like, this is also my other, like, big gripe with the movie. So, uh, Kate is ostensibly a singer, and throughout the movie, she's sort of, like, goes from audition to audition to realizing that maybe she's not really going to make it as a singer. She spends a lot of time at the homeless shelter where Tom ostensibly volunteers. And what she ends up doing is um, throwing a Christmas pageant with a lot of the residents at the homeless shelter. And so you see her sort of like in that like Francis Ha sort of track where once she gives up like practicing the art that she loves she decides she's like going to go in like a more uh teaching or instructor kind of role right but like even though she's a singer like we don't really get to hear her sing except for last christmas what song does she sing in her audition she auditions for um a musical my favorite things she oh, sings yeah. from sound of music and Rob Delaney is one of the producers for some reason or people she's auditioning for. Yeah, he's like the American that they cast in a lot of these things. <laughs> They're like, Rob Delaney's around, right? Yeah. Um, and her voice isn't that great in it. And you're kind of like, why? Like, are we supposed to think that she got a new heart and that changed her whole personality and voice? Or I don't know. One thing that's never really engaged with is why George Michael? She... 
has uh, an I Heart George Michael little sticker on her suitcase. And she clearly cares about him a lot. But it doesn't really align with her stated worldview where she wants to... I mean, she's half joking, but she wants to die at 27 and become like a Kurt Cobain type figure. But her obsession is with George Michael, who died certainly, you know, 53 is young, but it's not like Kurt Cobain young. Don't you know that all 26-year-olds love boomer icons? (laughs) As an almost 26-year-old, I have to say I'm really excited for my George Michael phase. (laughs) Let's talk about the homeless shelter and the role of homelessness in this movie. Heather, you earlier were saying that Kate was homeless, but the movie actually corrects her because she says she's homeless. And then Tom, who's a goody-goody, says, you're not really homeless. And then she has to correct herself and be like, I have no place to stay. And then we see what real homelessness looks like. Mm -hmm. I found the homeless shelter a little bit mawkish and sentimental. The movie doesn't engage with the treatment of homeless people or the causes of homelessness, it's really a vehicle for Kate to become a better person. Yeah. It's so corny and basic. Like they, uh, there's not one more level to it than that. (laughs) Heather, you're supposed to be defending this movie. (laughs) I will say that one thing I really liked about the movie is that it is a movie that both gives you the fantasy of London while also giving you a little bit of the reality of London. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that, like, the shop where Kate works is, like, in this, like, I think pretty, like, fancy area. And you see, like, a lot of, like, the higher-end stores and, like, how they're brightly lit. And, like, the place where she works is, like, much cleaner and, like, nicer looking than the house uh, in which I think we're supposed to assume she grew up where her parents still live which is like outside of town and not very brightly lit and sort of like also a little tacky looking. Yeah, it's shaped like a box. And and so what I really like about this is that like it gives you like that like super shiny version of London. But you can also see that like pretty much all of the characters that we're engaged with um, don't really like conform to uh, the movie's notion of, like, what fancy, charming, like, British people are like. Uh, We learn early on she's the daughter of, like, Yugoslavian refugees. Henry Golding is not a white person. Santa is not a white person. I think pretty much all of the friends that uh, Kate has are not white people. And for me, like, the homelessness thing sort of like was like a part of all of that in that you have this like shiny London that like everyone sort of has fantasies about and yet like London has like a huge housing crisis right now because like in pretty much like all major western cities like all of the uh, costs of living are sky high and so you just have these like terrible uh, class inequality problems and to me like that's how I took the movie and like how I took the homelessness crisis problem sure I think that's fair I mean it's a movie that's making I think a deliberate effort to be socially conscious and in fact it's very deliberately set in 2017 in the midst of you know Brexit a lot of anti-immigrant sentiment and it it 
engages with that stuff. We have uh, some Eastern European immigrants on a bus who a very like chavy British guy yells at them to speak English and go back to their country. And we also see the impact on Kate's mom as she's watching TV and she says they hate us as people are calling for, you know, the UK to pull out of the EU. Her mom is specifically afraid that, like, she will be forced to return to Yugoslavia, even though I think they've been in London for, like, 15 or so years. Which is a real concern that a lot of people face and are facing. And then we have her dad also, who was, um, hadn't had a good job in Yugoslavia. Was he a lawyer? Or um, And then he here he drives a cab or he drives Uber because he couldn't. Uh, retrain. And her dad and her mom are fighting in some unspecified way where her her dad is always out of the house because he doesn't want to deal with the mom. And everyone talks about how bad the mom is, but we we don't really see her do anything that bad. Um, But back to Brexit. I found the Brexit stuff sort of tacked on or I it just seemed like it it was um, trying to make the movie more um, relevant or something, but I didn't think it fully, like, integrated with the rest of the movie. I really liked, not specifically, I think, the Brexit stuff, but I think that, like, so in the last scene, um, you have Kate, who has realized that Tom is, like, not a living human being, um, (laughs) Like, back at the homeless shelter, and basically she's singing Last Christmas. And then, like, there's, like, a moment where the curtain draws, and you see that, like, a bunch of the people from the homeless shelter are also singing along. And it's this, like, nice, uh, cute moment of, like, I don't know, sort of, like, not, like, diversity specifically, but just, like, this idea that, like, all of these different people belong and I found it to be this, like, really adorable, shockingly for such a, like, shoddy movie, like, really moving. And yet, at the same time, like, there were, like, all of these parts to the movie's effort to be, like, diverse and inclusive. So, like, lip service Um, I think, like, one moment is when is sort of like Emma Thompson's whole character where she's like simultaneously supposed to be this woman that like we feel bad for because she is afraid that like there's going to be a, like a resurgence of anti-immigrant rhetoric and she'll have to go back to Yugoslavia. At the same time, Emma Thompson plays her with this like weird like Central European or Eastern European shtick and she's like made up to be like not quite, like, grotesque-looking, but, like, pretty, like, unattractive. And there was just this, like, weird tension there between, like, the good intentions of the movie, but also, like, looking at the movie, or, like, the movie's, like, sort of um, distance toward, like, first-generation immigrants, I guess. Um, I think Santa is, like, another good example where you're supposed to, like, feel... Like, Santa is, like, a character who is, like, ultimately someone you can relate to because she's not just sort of, like, this, like, dragon lady stereotype. But at the same time, like, she's 
uh, supposed to be like from China. And one way that they explain all of the tackiness in the Christmas store is that like it's because it's from China. And so I think that like the movies like wants to embrace immigrants, but also sort of like keeps them at like a sort of weird distance that didn't quite work for me. And I also could not believe that like, is it like George Michael's parents also from Greece and therefore he's also like part of an immigrant narrative, but you never hear like George Michael's number one fan who is also from an immigrant family talk about that ever. And so there were just like other parts of this that just like felt like it was very much non-immigrants trying to like write from the perspective of an immigrant family and not really getting there. I agree that the movie throws a lot of these ideas in there. And as a result, they're all kind of half-baked because there's only so much you can do in an hour and 40 minutes. I will say that, I mean, one topic we have barely touched on is the role of chronic illness in this movie, which is actually a pretty major part of Kate's character and significant to her relationship with her mother. And Emma Thompson's character actually worked for me in that she was so contradictory. She is this maybe somewhat exaggerated, overbearing mother. She does have this very put-on accent. The foundation of her character is that she likes to feel needed, and Kate ungenerously sort of attributes that to, you know, her illness. Her mother felt like she was getting all the attention, and that's why she took on the role of the caretaker. But I think Thompson plays it with a certain vulnerability that does relate to her not wearing makeup. And when the scene that they have with the doctor, she's in a very maternal role, even though her child is in her 20s and could speak for herself, but won't. And I I really liked the performance. I thought it worked for me. I felt less generous about Santa's character, which felt more shoehorned in she has a strange romance with a danish guy who loves sauerkraut i felt very much that that was a non-immigrant perspective trying to give ethnic specificity and racial specificity to these characters in a way that just felt broad and stereotypical um even with kate the main character so we find out that actually her name is katarina and she's been hiding that so i feel like we didn't get to see any indication you know is she ashamed of her background because of her mother or why did she change her name like presumably um and that never gets resolved mm -hmm. and we should talk about the sister too um so at one point kate outs her sister to her parents her sister um is living with a roommate who is actually her girlfriend and the parents didn't know that but that seems fine. The sister just forgives her and the parents, um, Emma Thompson and the dad, just accept it. Uh, what did we think of that part? They crammed so much into a couple of scenes where we find out that she became a lawyer because their father couldn't be a lawyer. And she feels that she's had to take on all the responsibility and the expectations of the family. But no, I none of the relationships in this movie were really that fleshed out. So... It's true that once Kate outs her a little bit at first, she's cold toward her, but she does get over it pretty quickly in terms of the runtime of this movie. And the outing is so cruel and retaliatory. Um, and like this movie keeps telling you that 
Kate is a mess. And um, the outing scene was sort of like the only time where I actually got the sense that she was a mess. Right. It's one of the only acts of deliberate cruelty because we've seen Kate be thoughtless and forget to lock a door and accidentally light a matchstick ship on fire (laughs) and crush an elaborate sort of constructed lantern that her friend is making by accident. She kills a fish fish because she her hairdryer falls in the tank. But all of that stuff is just being klutzy and careless. But that is definitely the moment in the movie where you're like, it's time to get your shit together with your magic ghost, your manic pixie organ donor. (laughs) (laughs) But with the parents, remember the parents were fighting and like were on the brink of divorce or or Kate asked, why don't you guys get divorced? They never did anything with that, did they? It's it's another loose end. (laughs) Okay. in the quilt of this movie that is comprised of nothing but loose ends. But we, we had the hint of an, another romance, did we not? Of, like, um, Amelia Clark's character. There was this other guy at the homeless shelter. Did you guys think that was, like, being um, suggested at all? Oh, yeah. yeah. They were definitely hinting at it. In fact, I was very surprised the movie ended without them making a date or kissing or something like that. Yeah, I was surprised that they didn't do something um, a little more explicit with that. Well, it's a romantic comedy. And for the main character, (laughs) it's not a romantic comedy. It's billed as a romantic comedy, and it's dressed up in the trappings of a romantic comedy. But if you pull at that ribbon, all of a sudden you unwrap, it's like socks or something. It's one of those Christmas presents that did not deliver. So I was surprised she ended up alone, which is part of why I wanted Tom's character to be a delusion, because then it's like, oh, it's a rom-com, but it's actually about self-love, and she's externalizing the need to take care of herself until she learns to actually take care of herself. I mean, there's a scene between Tom and Kate where they're in his flat, which is meticulously neat because no one has lived there because he's dead. (laughs) Where he's cradling her head and he basically says, you're kind of a mess, and he listens to her and he puts her to bed and he kisses her. And it is like a moment of, oh, that could reasonably be self-care of her accepting that she's a mess and realizing that she needs to take care of herself and get her act together. But then the movie didn't do that. (laughs) As much as like I found this horrendously corny, I also don't like the idea that like we're just like brushing off all corniness. I don't think the problem with the movie is that it's corny. I mean, as I've said, I I like the twist that he is dead and that she has his heart, literally. I think the execution was really poor and they didn't do enough to establish the relationships and the dialogue wasn't doing it for me. It was some of that, like, too clever for its own good dialogue at certain points. Like, at one point, Michelle Yeoh, Santa, uh, puts her hand on Kate's shoulder. And instead of just letting the moment sit, like, they have to tag it. So Kate had to say, what is this, physical affection? (laughs) I just, that rubs me the wrong way. So the premise is not the issue and the twist is not the issue. It's just a movie that doesn't know what to do before the twist is introduced. It's just Kate being a mess with no external driving force for the plot. It's a collection of vignettes. 
I think what also would have worked for the movie for me is that if there was like a reason for Henry Golding to do any of these things, like maybe he was like a bad person and this was his purgatory or there was like something that was like still niggling at him, like about his existence on earth. If he had like literally anything to do, like (laughs) other than like selflessly help this complete stranger like that, I think would have made the movie work for me. It also begs the question, what was his life like before he died? Because we only see about 30 seconds before he gets hit by a truck. He says that he volunteers at a homeless shelter. Did he actually volunteer at the homeless shelter? Yeah, no one there had heard of him. Because when she goes in and asks for Tom, no one says, oh, there used to be a Tom, but he stopped showing up. Also, he got hit by a a truck. (laughs) There's no moment of that. And he's so, you know, underdeveloped that we don't get a sense of it, which is why I wish he were a figment of her imagination. Because he might be. He's not, though, because he knows the location of his flat and he knows that there's a phone in the cupboard. Unless this whole thing was a dream. <laughs> and Kate actually imagined all of it, which I don't think she did. But I, I think that... Henry Golding and Amelia Clark as actors deserved better than this script because they're both really appealing and fun to watch. But they're so appealing and fun to watch and we're so starved for rom-coms. Like, this one was pretty fun. I would watch it again. <laughs> I mean, I'm that's not a that credit. starved for rom-coms. <laughs> that's a testament to the acting. From a pretty flimsy script. I also enjoyed Emma Thompson. I know the jury's out. Her delivery at the end of the movie of the line, you know, we're going to eat the lesbian pudding, got the biggest laugh in our theater of the whole movie. Other than the revelation of the twist, which was not supposed to be funny and should not have gotten a laugh. But even like the lesbian pudding line, which I thought was like a fun line, is like ultimately like a joke on her and like her bad English or her bad manners or whatever, right? Yeah. I thought it was more that she's just blunt. She's an overbearing parent who says things that embarrass her kids. I don't think that she was meant to because there's like a point where like she like all of the younger people sort of like are giving each other like what the fuck faces and like laughing and, like, she turns to her husband and is sort of is like, what? Like, what I say? Like, that type of thing. You know what this movie made me realize? What? Like, I have that organ donor, like, sticker or whatever, like, on my driver's license. And I am pretty sure that, like, no matter who my organs go to, I do not care at all, like, what happens to those body parts. I will definitely not waste my dumb afterlife coming back to earth so that i can like help some idiot get her life together like wow (laughs) this movie does not make the case for that being a thing that like any ghost or angel or whatever would reasonably do if you watch a lot of garbage christmas movies which i do you know that if there's going to be some supernatural Christmas nonsense in your movie, there has to be some kind of artifact that makes it happen 
or like a stranger on the street who's kind of mysterious and like an old timer who you, you know, you spill your coffee on him and don't apologize and he puts a curse on you. (laughs) There was no inciting incident. Ingu's absolutely right. She just sees a guy looking up and it turns out that he's always wearing the same clothes and he only comes around when she's in crisis. There's no explanation for why he would be haunting her other than the fact that he was an organ donor. Would his heart even fit inside her body? (laughs) (laughs) She said it felt weird. So I assume it fits, but like not well. But I actually had a terrible accident uh, maybe about 10 years ago. Where this is a weird story to get into, but you Kang died ten years ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I broke my collarbone in an accident, and basically, like it fused back together in like a sort of zigzag. And so, like one side of my body is like actually shorter than the other because instead of like a straight line for a collarbone, I have like a weird Z sort of formation, and. The doctor did tell me that, like, that side of my body would feel a little bit weird because, like, my organs were a little bit more squished together on that side. Did it send me into a spiraling depression and force me to become homeless because I am a spoiled brat who doesn't want to go live with her parents, but would yes. rather, like, End of podcast. carry all of my suitcase, <laughs> like, everywhere I go? Uh, No. Sorry, this movie sucks. God. <laughs> and yet you still love the movie. Yeah. I really admire Heather's determination to love this movie in hopes that it turns into a better movie. <laughs> that seems in the spirit of Last Christmas. I think it's possible. It could be a Christmas miracle. That's our show. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our audio engineer is Merritt Jacob. Our producer is Rosemary Belson. For Heather and Ingu, I'm Marissa Martinelli. Thanks for listening.